The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hey, this is Rick Roll from Every Mother's Nightmare, and you're growing up rock. Crank it up. This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host and tour manager, Stephen Michael. Hey, hey, rock and rollers. Welcome to this special episode of Growing Up Rock. On today's episode, we're going to play back for you uh, three interviews that we captured this past weekend at the first annual Nashville Rock and Pod Expo. Sonny and I were both there. I uh, did some interviews while Sonny was off. Uh, pressing the flesh with many, many other podcasters and rock stars. Uh, so on today's episode, we are going to first play for you an interview we did with Rick Rule from Every Mother's Nightmare. We're then going to play an interview with Chris Green from Taiketo. And we're going to close out our interviews with a new band called Butterside and their singer, Patrick Stone. So uh, we're going to delay no more. Uh, enjoy. See ya. Peace. Welcome to the show. Thank you. All right. Glad to be here. Yeah, Ain't man. Ain't seen you in a long time. I know, right? <laughs> right. We'll post those pictures. Uh, so if you're listening out there, so uh, Rick and I go way back to the first record. I worked wow. at a record distributor, and uh, Rick and Every Mother's Nightmare came in. Uh, and did a little bit of a meeting and greeting. We were kind of laughing about the pictures because we were so much. You didn't make us leave, did you? <laughs> no, no, it was all good. We were all Southern boys cutting That's up. That's right. <laughs> so um, you guys have a new record coming out in October, right? Yes, um, sir. Called Grind. Yes, sir, October 6th. Tell us a little bit about that. I'm excited about it because um, I kind of took uh, the producer that we used. Uh, I've been hearing his name and seeing the stuff that he'd done. His name's Justin Reimer, and he, he's kind of doing a lot of newer records. And um, he had a little twist with going on with, with what he was doing. So I went and met with him, and I said, man, I'm old school rock and roll, you know, old day, uh, grip it and rip it. Uh, but I went with him. I said, man, can you, is there any way we can put what I do and what you do together and kind of twist it up and see what uh, see what it sounds like you know because you know I don't the way they record today is way different than the way we, way we used to do it but anyway we uh, tried out a song called Loco Crazy and and uh, shot that with him and uh, 
man, it was awesome. And, you know, it came out, so the album, we just said, well, let's do the album. And, uh, you know, we ran into Bill Chavis from Highball, and he's like, man, let's do a full-length, you know, a record. So uh, very happy about it, very excited about it. I don't even know where to start with it, but uh, it's uh, different. It's still old school rock and roll but it's got a little bit of a new age kind of thing too i don't want to say new age but a yeah, modern twist yeah but. maybe uh maybe just a little bit heavier edge uh like i heard the single and it was kind of um uh a little bit um thicker sounding yeah it's just got a little meat and taters in it it's, <laughs> it's still rock and roll you know and and uh correct me if i'm wrong but you you guys uh reached out and had uh one of the guys that's in uh a saliva play on it is that correct uh so i had uh on um we had saliva uh wayne swinney from saliva play on a track we had uh zach myers from shinedown play on track that's right and uh jeff Carn, one of the uh guitar players from my past uh, played on a couple of tracks. Just you know, anybody come up and say, "Hey, man, you know, I want to play on that play on." I was like, you know, good guitar player. Right. Come on in. And, <laughs> and even did a song with Jim Dandy, a Black Oak. That's Arkansas. awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and and now Rick, you're the you're the sole original guy left. Sole survivor. The sole survivor <laughs> in every mother's nightmare from those first uh, that first album yeah. and uh, the the success of uh, Love Can Make You Blind and. Uh, of course, we grew up to here in the South to uh, long-haired country yeah. boy. Yeah. And the walls come down and easy come, easy go. All good stuff, man. Yes, sir. Um, and so it's kind of you're going strong after all this period of time. You're about to put out a new record. You're excited about that. Um, at Growing Up Rock, we kind of want to explore. So how, how did you end up getting into music? Getting into music? Well, i tell you what. My mom was... Um real instrumental in that because and my uncle greg he was a drummer fabulous he was a fabulous drummer you know traditional drummer mm -hmm. and uh, my mom took me to see uh, alice cooper welcome to my nightmare tour awesome and first concert i ever saw i was you know i was hooked you know as soon as i as soon as i saw that and uh, the stage show he had and just the songs i just dug into that record and i'm a i, I listened to cooper all the way here yesterday so nice i just you know i grew up to cooper everything from alice cooper to elvin bishop to marshall tucker uh my uncle worked for charlie daniels for 29 years so wow that's um, a cool story so i just you know i was kind of around it all the time and uh but really i guess after seeing that but one night i was at a a party and there was probably 350 people in a in a trailer. It's like a double wide trailer up in the up in the sticks in Tennessee, and um, it got me up singing. And I started singing, and and uh, the band I was playing with, you know, just jumped in there, and, and I was hooked after that. I was like, well, that's what that's what I'm gonna do. So right, everything else went to the to the wayside, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> and just started focusing yeah. on that, playing in and out just of bands. Play it well. I put um, maybe two bands together before I, I actually got this band together. And uh, played around Nashville. We did 13 shows, and then we hit Memphis. And uh, our 13th show, we uh, somehow scored a deal. It was just right, you know, right place, right time. So my understanding is uh, Clive Davis came in to see you guys <laughs> and basically saw a show and and dug what he saw and and signed the band. Right? Yeah, he seen a hot mess. He he, he came down to a, we had we didn't have nowhere to play in Memphis, so we. We had an old cotton warehouse. We put a stage in it and got some friends of ours there and went around and threw some flyers out and uh, put a couple of lights up. And it was a fiasco. I'm sure it sounded like death, but it was the chemistry was just right and everything was wide open. We, you know, Jim hit him with a drumstick. You know, he threw it out and hit him with it. And uh, he took my boots off of my off my feet in the uh, 
in the control room of the place, and uh, he took them off, and they were just shredded old cowboy boots, you know, like everybody used to wear. And he took them, put them in his office, said, I'm going to keep these. They'll be worth something someday. Wow, but, really? Yeah, I mean, just, uh, just, you know how it is. It's luck of, luck of the draw, right place, right time. But how, how was he? I mean, what was he like uh, dealing with him? Oh, man, you know, he uh, – He's done a lot, you know. He's he he says stuff, and people usually go okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, the coolest thing I think I, I liked about him was he brought us in his office when the record was done, and he had these giant speakers in there, and he just he's staring, he just turn it's so loud you can't even understand it. But he's just he's having a ball in him, and that's what I, I say. But he's a, he's a you know, no matter who he is and how big he is, he's a music. He's a music man. He's always, you know, right. some of the people he signed and shit, you know, yeah, are phenomenal. So, uh, I just, I really, I really, uh, really liked him and really impressed by him. And, you know, you meet a lot of people that you, they're a little plastic and they're not really what they are. But he, but he didn't out. come off that way. No, he was, he was very down to earth and straight up. You know, which if is, he didn't like it, he would say, I don't like it. Right, which is cool when you're a musician because um, you know we're all kind of music fans. That's right. why we hang around it, whether we're podcasting, whether we're a musician, or whether we're yeah. some big guy like Clive Davis working at a record company. And I think that I think that we tend to kind of gravitate to each other, um, and you can sort of tell whether somebody's passionate oh, yeah. about what you they're can doing. Definitely. You definitely your gut always tells you. You talk to somebody more than five minutes, you go, yeah, you know, yeah, all right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> nice meeting you. <laughs> so, what are you what are you listening to these days? What's uh, what's exciting to you these days? I what I'm really digging right now is uh, hell yeah. Okay. Oh man, just uh, and a buddy of mine turned. He was playing it down to his place. I was at one night and I, I was listening to it. I was like, man, that's really good. And then he's told me, you know, who it was and everything. I was like, so I started digging into it. And they played Memphis the other night, and I missed it. I didn't get to go. Found out like at eight o'clock, and it was already jam packed. And I was like, man, but uh, that's what I I'm, I dig them right now. But I, I dig anything good, man. It don't matter. You know, my my little girl listens to country, and I listen to you know. There's a lot of that that's good. There's right. A, there's a lot, you know. It's, it's what well, it is. <laughs> well, country country is kind of borderlining it's rock, rock and now, roll these yeah. days. It's so funny because your version of long-haired country boy, the Hank Williams Jr. thing, nowadays would be kind of normal on country yeah, radio yeah. because it has the rock, the rock edge exactly. to a country song. Well, when I recorded the backtracks, we did a backtracks record. It was nothing but southern stuff. I recorded that in '93, '94. And I took it to uh, one of the record labels here, and dude said, I love it. I just don't know what to do with it. And then, you know, that's sort of what they gravitated towards. Basically, just, you know, Skinner on steroids, and, uh, you know, and Skinner ain't a bad thing, no. <laughs> no. I mean, and I, I could always, um, I think uh, there were a lot of elements of um, Every Mother's Nightmare that I could 100% picture as a southern rock band you know i know there were a lot of elements of that but you you guys when you guys came out you were kind of they were trying to sell you as a hair band right yeah because it was that period of time but you guys could have easily veered left and gone the skinner route the molly hatchet route right. whatever you want to say you know that, well that exactly that's that's kind of where we were and we're uh, that's where i you know my heart's always going to be it's just straight up rock and roll and i'm from the south so i can't you know i can't get away from that but uh you know that's when that you had to have a 
you had to have a ballad to be valid kind of deal. Yeah, you know? I know. <laughs> I'm aware. Um, and you, you know. guys did. You guys made that happen, right? I mean, um, uh, Love Can Make You Blind uh, had um, some reasonable success on MTV yeah. during that era, right? I have to play that song every day for the rest of my life. <laughs> that and Long Hair Country Way, and that's, uh, you know, that's the, probably the, we usually throw the last two songs on the set just for cause. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, it, uh, it makes you feel good, you know, there's still, you go out there and when you, when you hit them two songs, everybody goes, you know, it's, it's, it's rock, you know, it's cool. So uh, I'll always love it, you know. Yeah. But it's, it's just what it was. Well, <laughs> exactly, it is what it is. And I, I mean, I'm the opposite. I'm, I'm the rock and roll kid, so I, I'm not much for ballads. Right. And it doesn't matter how good they are. <laughs> I want to hear Easy Come, Easy Go, right. or Walls Come Down. Well, I'm a little more aggressive and, and uh, mad at the world, too. <laughs> you know, I just I like guitars in my face. I oh, think man, I mean, there's nothing better than a Marshall cranked up and a good old Les Paul ripping through there. That, that's right, that's man. The best. So, um, what have you got coming up once the record comes out? Is there going to be a tour? Yes. That's in the works right now. We're trying to get um, everything worked out. We're talking about going uh, over to the U.K. and going to Germany first off. That's like the first thing's happening. But um, the next thing we got coming up, we got uh, us. and uh, It's Brett Michaels, us, Tora Tora, and Roxy Blue. Oh, great. And uh, South Haven, Mississippi for a 40th anniversary uh Rec, uh, radio party and then I'm going up to uh, Detroit we're going to do some shows with kicks and then uh, I think we're going to pop over to Canada for a day or three and then pop back so I don't know the, the list changes every day that's why everybody always asks me dates I'm like well I don't know because yesterday there was 10 today there's eight tomorrow there'll be seven exactly <laughs> and then the next day there'll be 14 so in the in the early days on those first couple of albums what were some of the bands that you guys went out on the road with do you remember oh man uh lots of great bands uh god anything uh, stick out uh, I can't. I'm trying to think of the name. It just popped in there. Uh, one of my favorites. Uh, can't think. My, I had a brain fart. Sorry. Um, you know, my my favorite person people that I ever played with was Cheap Trick. I think. That, yeah. That was just, you know, them and, guys are just m- and, monsters. And I know those times are probably a little bit hazy nowadays. <laughs> Sometimes. Do you have any good stories or anything that sticks out that you remember from those those periods of time I that was what, just I outrageous? Do, I remember a, I remember a story, uh, and it's probably not, I shouldn't even say it, but I'm going to say it just because I think it's funny now. But we were playing with Wasp at uh, Limelight in New York, uh-huh. and uh, you know Blackie's Blackie is Blackie, and uh, but anyway, he had a row of monitors bigger than any stage setup we ever had ever and they were so loud i mean they were i couldn't even hear my drummer behind me they were so loud and uh they wouldn't uh, i was just wanting the guy to turn them down he goes we're gonna touch it tomorrow i said i just need you to turn them down you can turn them off i like here anyway so me being the redneck that i am he wouldn't turn them off so i just stood up on top of them while i was talking to these people and poured water in them and burn them up <laughs> wow awesome so i got in a little shit for it but uh you know, he, did he freak out on you? Yeah, that, well, the monitor man did. I don't know what Blackie did because I was gone before that. Before that, any of that happened. But you know, I didn't. I didn't really do it on purpose, but I just slipped. That's the su- <laughs> that's the southern way, right? That's Ain't gonna take no way. shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the southern way. That's uh, great, man. I that guy. Hey, that guy's got an issue with monitors, I think, because I went and saw Wasp. Uh, I don't know. At this point, it's been about 10 years. But I went and saw Wasp in a club, and I paid good money to see him. 
and uh, he came out and played two or three songs, bitched the whole time about his monitors, kicked the monitors over, walked off stage, and never came back. See, that's, you can't do that. I was pissed, You just man. pour water in them and blow them up. There you go. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> exactly right. Well, hey, Rick, it's been awesome. I appreciate you spending a little time hey, with it's us. It's good to see you, man. Good I'm to glad, see I'm you. I'm glad you showed me that picture, man. We'll That's post uh, we'll post the uh, the old picture and the new picture that Rick and I are going to take here on growinguprock.com, and you can go check that out. And uh, I'll share that via uh, Every Mother's Nightmare or EMN. We're, um, you got a website That's you want to promote? It's uh, our actual website is. Uh, EMN Rocks, all capital letters, dot com. And then our Facebook page is just Every Mother's Nightmare Band, I think, or Every Mother's Nightmare. Yep. And then uh, anything else you would like to know would be HiveAllRecords.com. So. Awesome. Rick, I appreciate your time, my Thank friend. You, Thank, Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. That was part one of a three-part interview session from the Rock and Pod Expo. That was with Rick Rule, vocalist for Every Mother's Nightmare. And now for the second part, we're going to move on to Chris Green, guitar player for Taiketo. <laughs> This is Chris Green from Taiketo, and you're listening to Growing Up Rock Podcast. Chris, welcome to the show. How, How are you, doing, you buddy? Man? I'm really good. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So, Chris, just uh, to give uh, our listeners a little background on you, uh-huh. uh, you are the guitar player uh, for Taiketo, correct? I am. And you're also playing on two or three other projects currently. Yeah, yeah. When uh, when Taiketo's uh, not on the road, um, 
I have like a, a studio at home, you know, so I'm able to do uh, session work and play solos on, on people's albums. And, uh, you know, and if I've got a little bit extra time, I go out and play on the road with uh, some other bands. I just came off the road with an Australian band called Delacoma. And, uh, Great bunch of guys, man. Yeah. Really good. You know, you got to love the Australians. They're, uh, they're fun, right? They're super cool. Super and and cool drinkers, people. probably. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I I wasn't drinking on this tour. And so seeing them in action was quite something. Now, was that a U.S. tour or did you go over there to Australia? I did both a U.S. and a European uh, tour. Just to help them out, really, in the interim uh, period, uh, while Dell, the lead singer, um, y- you know, there, there, there was some internal problems and they were in need of a guitar player. And so uh, some mutual friends, actually Jeff Scott Soto, uh, introduced us. Don't don't say that name too loud with my co-host walking Uh-oh. around because he'll he'll uh, he'll he'll come right up to you because he is a Jeff Scott Soto freak. Yes. Well, I mean it's hard not to be. The guy's yeah, he's amazing. brilliant, right? <laughs> yeah, he is, and the fact that he's a super cool bloke as well is yeah. So, you know. So yeah, uh, watching the Australians in action was uh, extremely funny and enjoyable and. Uh, we had good times, man. Yeah, and you're a busy guy. So you do you um, uh, do you embrace the term hired gun because you're kind of a hired gun, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Do you know what? I didn't. There's, they just did a movie, didn't they? Called Hired Gun. I didn't get a chance to see it, but I am intrigued because yes, to all intents and purposes, that is exactly what I am. And really, that kind of started in 2008 when I started playing with uh, Scrap Metal with Mark Slaughter, who's around here somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> he's running around here. Um, and it was Mark and um, the Nelson Brothers, Gunner and Matt, and Kip Winger, and Jeff Scott Soto, wow. Eric Martin, and C- my, my best friend CJ Snare from Firehouse. And uh, that's, it spurred on from there. I ended up playing in Nelson, in Firehouse. Um, and that's kind of what, you know, yeah. brought me over to America in a, in a, in a, in a way. Right, because um, you you're originally a UK guy, right? I am. I'm a Londoner. Yep, and now you live in, uh, in Atlanta with uh, myself and, That's uh, right. and a few others. Yep. And um, you just, you stay busy, so it's, it's basically sort of the domino effect where uh, you play with this group of guys and they recommend you to this group of yes. guys and, and yes. so on. It's really word of mouth. It's not... It's not like we have a like a, a like the equivalent of a modeling agency where it's like, oh, here's your portfolio. What I'm looking for is some cheeky, chappy English guy with long hair. <laughs> oh, I know, just the guy. I'll call him. You know, like it's it's just word of mouth. And um, luckily, I, I I have been extremely fortunate that I've played with some fantastic people and I've I've managed to remain as busy as I'd like to be. Yeah, and and of course the the flip side of that is you obviously you have the chops to uh, to get the gigs. I mean, it's uh, you're I you're that. you're a, a gun slinging uh, hired gun, <laughs> right? Uh, well, I mean, ultimately, what I should have been doing was getting laid when I was a teenager, and instead, I was in my bedroom playing guitar. Like so, so many other great <laughs> guitar players, right. it's all the same story. You right. guys didn't uh, chase the chicks; you waited till uh, you were uh, up there on stage to I know. chase the t- I chicks, know, right? right? <laughs> so. You're you're somewhat of a um, you would fancy yourself somewhat of a gearhead, right? You got 160 I guitars. I do. I, read. I have a. I mean, yeah. I don't know the exact amount, but it is, yeah, it's around that. 
yeah. that's around that. I've just shipped another 40, uh, 60, nearly 70 of them but from England uh, over to America, the last ones that were over there. And what do you primarily play? What's your? Oh, your... my word. I mean, if I'm playing acrobatic stuff, uh, then I use PRS guitars. Um, I was never a Gibson fan, but uh, when my father passed away a few years back, he left me an, an extensive collection. As if I didn't have enough guitars, he left me a bunch. And uh, so I've also been taking out a lot of Gibsons as well. So, so Gibson Les Pauls, I've got a fantastic 81V, an 82 Explorer, some 70s SGs. My favorite is uh, Gibson uh, 225 from 59 I mean we could, I could talk all so, day about them so you talked a little bit about your dad uh, leaving you some guitars yes. so so was your dad also a musician he was and um, uh, over here in America people probably wouldn't know who uh, Cliff Richard was but in, in England he was he was kind of like the the, the Ricky Nelson you know he yes was, he was that guy right um, and he was very successful my dad happened to be the bass player in his band and um you know, in the band that he was in, they were Chuck Berry's backing band. And, and so I grew up around a lot of live music and um, a lot of rehearsals in the house. And just, I, I, it was always around us. Um, my dad was on TV all the time, so I grew up with him being on Top of the Pops, which was like the, the weekly TV show. And, and it was, so it was, it was very normal for me to see that going on. Um, so either myself or my sister were bound to, right? you know, she ended up being a, a hairdresser and I ended up being a musician. Okay. I'm glad it was that way around. Well, so that's, <laughs> that sort of makes sense as to how you came around and came about music. What, um, what, tell us about like, uh, so what, what initially, um, uh, your dad being a musician maybe got you and gravitated you towards music, but was yeah. there anything that you you heard or saw that like flipped the switch with a lot of people? It was the Beatles oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. with you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I gr I grew up. Neither my mother or my father wanted me to be a musician, but strangely enough, almost identical reasons. My mother saw my dad, who was a heavy drinker. He 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 was a an alcoholic up until nineteen. 90 and then he 26 years he was completely sober before he passed away my mum didn't want me to be like him and i don't think he wanted me to be like him either and so they tried to deter me from being a musician for as long as they could before they realized he's going to do this we may as well help him and uh, so i grew up playing music pretty cool music like uh dire straits the kinks the small faces the shadows I was into a lot of 60s and 70s prog music and then I distinctly remember my sister hearing this noise coming out of her bedroom in uh, 1989. Um, the album I think was a couple of years old by that point but it was Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses and there's, there was these wailing guitar solos and I probably started growing my hair that day started coating my bedroom wall in posters from Kerrang you know all of these different magazines right. and um, you know from there springboarded into Mr. Big and I was heavily into glam so like and shredders shredding uh, shredders, guitar players a few years later shredders I mean my, my idols were people like CeCe DeVille really? Like, yeah I mean I believe it or not yes yeah you know, that's crazy I, um, 
and I moved on reasonably quickly onto people like Paul Gilbert, John Petrucci, and from there all of a sudden it was, you know, the, the glam rock didn't stand a chance. I was now into dream theatre and progressive music and refining my technique. And so instead of girls, it was I went to Guitar Institute learn how to uh, play more proficiently. You're a GIT guy. I am, yes. Which uh, which uh, which which air uh, uh, which GIT? Uh, the one in London. Okay. It was in Acton at the time and uh, once I graduated from there I went over to the one in Hollywood and at the time it was really difficult to get funding so I couldn't um, I couldn't get funding for that. So instead I was like, you know what, I'm going to take everything that I've learned and just getting some bands and start using it and it took about two years probably for all of that information to settle down for me to stop playing every note on the fretboard and just play most of them instead <laughs> right right i mean it it's it, you can you can teach theory and you can teach all mm -hmm. these things but i think probably a musician really starts becoming their own person once they're out there and yes. doing their chops agree right? you i mean it's i think it's every guitar player's um goal I would hope so anyway, to um, to find your own voice so that, you know, when you hear a Steve Vai solo, when you hear a, a Satriani solo, you know, for the most part, Eric Johnson, for the most part, you can tell who that player is just by listening to the guitar solos. John Sykes is a perfect example. Vio Brata, who's my favorite guitar player of all time. Um, and that's been my goal, is to create my own voice on the guitar um, and to do that you've got to spend a lot of time looking at your guitar tone and what you play and try and be tasteful and true to the music and that's what I try to do yeah and so um, you know you're doing that in all these amazing bands you're playing with whether it's Taiketo or whether it's with uh, Kip Winger or mm -hmm. Slaughter or any of those guys the Nelson Brothers yeah. um, but you're also taking time out to um, put together um, CDs of your own music right? yes yes um, and so you've got uh, a new CD that kind of yeah. um, uh, frames that all up yes. in Chris Green Unveil, right? Yes. And um, tell us a, a little bit about the recording. So you recorded this record in Stone Mountain, Georgia, which is right down the street from my house. I did, exactly. Yeah, um, basically uh, the producer, Rick Beato, I'd, I'd already recorded a couple of albums with him with my um, the band I was in when I lived in England, which was called Furion. Much more of a radio rock band, more like a Shinedown, that kind of stuff, like... Drop C, heavier music, but with melodic vocals. It's, if you ever get, if anyone out there gets a chance, check it out. Fury on it's F U R Y O N. Great band. We did two albums, um, and we did that album and Rubicon Cross, which is the band I did with CJ from Firehouse. So I'd recorded a bunch of music here, and before my dad passed away, he said you should do, you should just do something under your own name. You're always bitching about having to put up with the, the singer or the bass player or the drummer or the all manager and all this kind of stuff. All singers, don't I know, they? right? What is it? What is it about us? We just can't get on. Um, and ultimately, I just decided after he passed away to just take the plunge, spend the money, and record a full-on, turned out to be an EP, five tracks, but a full-on produced product. You know, So I went into a full studio. It wasn't like a home studio deal. Uh, the drummer, um, Garrett Whitlock, he's in a band, Tremonti. Um, Tremonti being the guitar player in Creed and Alterbridge. Um, and Garrett came in and played drums. And it's, it's an instrumental album, melodic. 
uh, and it, it it's um, it's got everything about my guitar personality on there, ranging from very very melodic tunes uh, to near classical kind of shreddy stuff to very very progressive stuff the last track on the album is actually a cover of my dad's 70s progressive band so i did an instrumental version of that so all of the four-part vocal harmonies are now represented as as guitar harmonies that's a welcome for a soldier yeah, yeah very cool yeah it was a band called deep feeling they're a really cool 1971 right on. Uh, prog rock band yeah very cool band yeah that's awesome and i can see you the listeners can't see you but i'll say yeah. i can see you light up when oh you talk it, it was about it was that, i mean it's in my top three albums of all time i mean partly because it was my dad but partly because it was just amazing music it right. was you know, they were really ahead of their time. You know, Pink Floyd were only really finding their feet when my dad's, when Deep Feeling were first starting. You know, this this Deep Feeling guillotine EP was released in 71. It was way ahead of a lot of those prog bands that ended up having the same sound. Um, they just never got the recognition. I mean, look, how many, how many bands are out there that never got the recognition but were there at the time? I mean, for every Firehouse and Slaughter... There was probably 10 other bands that no one's ever heard of that never got And we still love them, whether we've got one album uh, or 10. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. And so what's coming up for you next? Uh, I am going to be... The next thing is a Taiketo tour. We're going to be playing some U.S. dates, actually, Ooh. for the first time in a long time. That's great. We'll be playing in uh, Green Bay uh, in late October. Uh, we'll be playing the uh, Rock and Skull show in uh, Pekin, Illinois late October and then we are going to be doing a New York show now this New York show is going to be the first time that Taikato have played New York since back in the Lamore days since the early 90s um, so please go to the Taikato official uh, Facebook page and check out where you can get tickets for that show it's going to be the first Saturday in November in fact you know what I am going to bring up that right now because I do not want to get that wrong <laughs> my memory as anyone would tell you is probably the worst of uh, most musicians yeah, and that you'll ever know Dan, so Danny be, Bond's an amazing yes. singer oh, yeah. he is incredible yeah. and he hasn't lost a note it, I can say it's going to be the 4th uh, Saturday the 4th of November November 4th York City. if you're in the New York area yeah. please get out there and check please, out uh, please come Chris and Green and, and check and out Taiketo. the details for that on the Taiketo official uh, website and the uh, Facebook page that'll be followed by a full European tour by the way as well throughout uh, for the first time we're getting into scandinavia we're going to be uh, england scotland germany uh, holland the full thing spain sweden norway yeah we'll be all over the place yeah that's great and then the and the taiketo the the last taiketo record reach which chris plays on that's an amazing record it, it may actually be my favorite taiketo record wow um, you, you know i mean i i have i have the earlier ones mm -hmm. um and I'm more of a, a guitar-driven individual, so I, yeah. I gravitate towards uh, the heavier stuff more so than the um, uh, really poppy stuff. And the earlier Taiketo records had some really great stuff on there, but yeah. it was also uh, um, uh, very melodic and um, a little bit more keyboard-laden for I got me. You. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so definitely, if you've not check that out the record's been out a while go go look yeah, it up yeah reach uh, the reach album that we recorded uh, was released last october yep. we're really proud of it it was a very um 
it was a very um, worrying moment for me because it was the first album that I'd written with the band and recorded. So if it was, if it turned out rubbish, then it was kind of totally on me because I was the only new member. <laughs> well, you did a good job. So I'm glad it worked out okay. Yeah. Well, Chris, I appreciate you spending time with us oh, here on Growing Up Rock. Thank you very much for helping me, uh, um, you know, talk about our music. Yeah, in between your uh, 455 bands and your 355 <laughs> tours, we'll get you. We'll get you over to the studio in Atlanta, and we'll do a, a proper uh, uh, sit down, and we'll oh, play. Oh, that would be great. We'll play some music that you yeah, and I'd I like, like and like uh, talk about uh, uh, rock and roll. Absolutely. All right, I appreciate it, my friend. Thanks very much. Bye. title track off of Chris Green's solo EP. He is a great guy and a great conversation. And now we're going to move on to the third and final conversation that we recorded at the Rock and Pod Expo. It's our conversation with Butterside's Patrick Stone. Butterside, of course, is a brand new band out of Hollywood, California, signed to Motorhead Music, which is Lemmy's record label. And we're going to get into some growing up stories with Patrick. So sit back and enjoy Patrick Stone, Butterside. Cool, astronomical dimensions 
waste of time Dividing you and I Say we bring the truth to Hello, this is Patrick Stone of Butterside, and you're listening in on Growing Up Rock with your awesome host, Stephen Michael. Hey, Patrick. Welcome to the show. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for having me so much. It's been a crazy day here at the Rock and Pod Expo. Absolutely. Uh, so tell us, um, uh, you, you're, you've got a new record out. Butterside has a new record out. Yes, we do. Our, our debut uh, album just came out uh, September of last year on Motorhead Music, signed by Lemmy himself. Awesome. Um, we couldn't be more excited. We're, uh, we're taking full advantage of the reputation, and we've been traveling, traveling all over the world, playing our, our songs and selling our records. So, yeah. It's good. Uh, so his son, uh, Paul, is uh, running the label now, right? Um, no, Paul is not with the label, but he did, uh, he did uh, produce our record for okay. us. And he's a complete and total genius. Yeah. Um, sitting in the room with him, is, uh, it freaked me out all the time because I was close with Lemmy and, and was his roadie for a long time. Uh, and we've, we were friends. And uh, sitting down with Paul after knowing Lemmy for so long was like sitting down with a clone of Lemmy. I had to shake my head a, quite a few times to, and, and look over at him just to, just to let that register that it was somebody else because he, he's so much like his father. Um, yeah. So, so that's interesting. I'm going to rewind just a minute. Did I hear you say that you were Lemmy's roadie at one point? Absolutely, yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. How did that all come about? Well, uh, it's a long, dirty story, to tell you the truth. Um, I was uh, part of the, I was a, a very strong part of the uh, Hollywood drug scene, the underground. Um, and uh, our paths crossed, let's just say, a few times. Um, but uh, we became friends, and Lemmy and the guys would swing by my house every once in a while, and we would have jams for, you know, day, day upon day, night after night, uh, endless jam sessions. Um, and this is music, not drugs, or uh, both? Well, definitely both, okay. you know. I don't think anybody's too, uh, you know, you can't, you can't hide that that was a big part of our lives. I've been, I've been sober 11 years now, but, um, Congratulations. but back then we were letting the wheels fly off, you know. Um, but uh, Phil was over at my place one day, and uh, he got a call from his roadie from overseas, and I think he had some issues with his passport, and Phil hung up the phone saying, I don't have a roadie for the tour, and I said, yes, you do, and he said, all right, let's go. So um, wow. off I went, and uh, yeah, that whole experience started. So, so that's Phil, the guitar player then? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The uh, Was it uh, Phil and the Bastard Sons? Or? Oh, yes, Phil Phil Campbell, yeah, yeah, and his Bastard Sons. Great group. They're also on Motorhead Music, our label. We share we share the same company. so That's fantastic. So I saw the new video for, uh, well, it's not new anymore, I don't think, but the new video for uh, Pain, correct? Oh, yeah, awesome. That, that's always a fun watch. Yeah, man, uh, hard, day at the, hard day at the office that was to make, yeah. I think we had to audition uh, 200 girls 
um, in a row, and every single one of them would walk in and say, hello, they'd state their name, do I take off my clothes now? Oh. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> wow, and and that and and to anybody that says uh, rock is is dead, uh, guess what? Not so much. <laughs> sounds like a, sounds like something out of the eighties, you know. Well, that's what we were trying to capitalize right. on. We we're trying to make a fun video, you know, that uh, it just it just gets your your blood flowing, you know, kind yeah. of introduce the band in, in a uh, in a not so serious uh, sort of way, in a sexy way. And the video, I think, definitely does that for us. It keeps you entertained. It keeps your eyes glued to the screen. You can't take your eyes off of it. It's a really beautiful uh, video directed very well by our, uh, by our co-producer and director, Eric Bishop. Uh, he did a great job with it. And he also did the open relationship video. He's great with CGI and just, a, just a, a great guy to know and have working with you. To somebody who hasn't really um, heard uh, Butterside before, um, I, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm hanging out with my friends and sharing music and discussing music, if I discover somebody new, I always like to, um, to tell my friends about it, right? I, I found this band, they're really cool. And usually my friends will respond like anybody else and they'll say, um, uh, you know, what it, or who they sound like, right? What do they sound like? How would you describe Butterside to somebody, you know, one of your friends that you're you're uh, trying to to turn on to new music. How would you describe Butterside? Um, it's the only answer is really Butterside. I mean, the name itself kind of makes you think, like, who the hell would name themselves Butterside? You know, um, it's uh, it's hard to pigeonhole us. It was it's hard for the label to even pigeonhole us or put us in any kind of uh, genre bracket. Um, and our manager Todd Singerman and Lemmy both supported the fact that we were very different, that the band is not afraid to take a left turn out of one genre and into the next. I think it makes the album much more entertaining to listen to from beginning to end by mixing up a lot of genres into one um, and kind of creating our own genre. I don't like to think that we sound like anybody else. You can definitely feel the influence, that's for sure. I mean, there's definitely a punk rock influence. There's definitely a, a grunge influence. There's there's, but there's there's country funk and and other influences from all directions coming in at you and and growing up in the in the uh, era that that I did and we did, um, we have to pay homage and tribute to all of the people that inspired us, not just you know one band or another and and it's it's kind of been it's been a it's been a challenge to to get ourselves onto tours and get onto certain radio stations because we are different, but we knew that if we just got out there and persevered, that people would get it. And the whole tour with LA Guns really proved that. People really warmed up to us. People want the CD, they want the music. Along the way, radio stations have seen us, and a few different genres of radio stations have all played us on the radio since they've seen us live, because it's its own thing. It really and is. I think, I think that's part of being an artist, right? You guys, uh, you, you go in whatever direction the art drives you, um, and I, I mean, I, I've, I've heard it. If I was putting the album up in a category in a record store, which 
Of course, we don't have any more, but if I had to put it somewhere, I mean, I would probably uh, go to the umbrella of rock and put it in a rock category, right? Sure. Because it is rock and roll. Definitely um, a cool place to be. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. mean, that's that's my, my flavor of choice, but... Yeah, I mean, just like Lemmy said at the end of his shows, hey, we're Motorhead and we are rock and roll, and everybody wanted to call them heavy metal or speed metal or or whatever they wanted to categorize them. It's just rock and roll, really. That's And that's, I think, all music like that, you know, to a certain degree. I mean, country music is really rock and roll, just, just taken back is. a little bit, you know what I mean? Um, and, you know, rock and roll was black slang back in the day for sex, you know? That's what it meant. It was rocking and rolling, you know? It's getting your groove on. It's that feeling of, you know, yeah, it's definitely rock and roll. Yeah, so... Um, what what were some of your earliest influences? How did you end up? Um, we're all music fans, but uh, some of us take the path of musicianship. Some of us take the path of hey, we just listen to records in our in our uh, house or in our car. How do you end up driving your path into music? How does that happen? Um, I think the first seed was planted by my uh, my beloved departed sister she uh she gave me my first guitar when i was eight but way before that i mean i think my first memories were really digging through her record collection and seeing the highway to hell record and the super tramp record and the and the tattoo you rolling stones record and and you know just being so interested in the artwork and the and the whole you know i was just at uh april lee's place last night and we we're looking through her record collection just holding a record in your hand is so much different than even holding the, the CD is like a smaller version of that. But but that's just to get to the core of it. Growing up rock, um, definitely, um, you know, going through her record collection and just really being so taken in by 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 all of the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into creating that whole that whole album. Um, I think that just really spoke to me. That was something that I wanted to figure out. How do I do this? You know, and, you, and the Boston record too. You open that up, and I think my fir the first my first memories of actually seeing a rock band were those pictures of them, and then the huge crowd. You know, and I just I just that was something I've wanted since the first time I saw those things, and and I started tugging at my father's pants sleeve when I was five. He he reminds me that that I was five years old when I first told him I wanted to be a rock star, and and sitting in the back seat of mom's car, you know, singing along to every song that came on the radio, and just finding out that I had a knack for remembering lyrics and and feeling like I could really sing exactly like them made me want to be just like them, you know, Billy Idol, you know, uh, all of the greats. You yeah, know? you know, and it's interesting, too, because you talk about going through your sister's uh, record collection and, and you had the Stones and you had the ACDC and the Highway to Hell and things like that. You ever wonder, you ever think, like, um, what, what if, right, what if my sister had... Um, uh, Simon and Garfunkel or Frank Sinatra, would I have ended up gravitating more into that genre of music or, or anything like that? It's kind of interesting to think about, right? It's easy for us to go, hey, I love rock and roll today. I love music today and I listen to all things, but my passion is rock and roll and, and I love it today because the first album I heard was my brother's Zeppelin album. You know, you ever think about stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. But I mean, great music is great music, and and I think for sure that ang that picture of Angus Young on the cover of Highway to Hell was definitely something that made me say, that's what cool is. So in the back of your head, that's what cool is, and compare that to a Simon and Gar Garfunkel album cover, um, maybe not so cool, but, but you know, 
I mean, I have a, we have a song called My Religion on our record, and people tell us that it reminds them a lot of, uh, of uh, Paul Simon's music. And, and I was deeply influenced by him, too. And Simon and Garfunkel, man, some of the, I mean, all that, that stuff from The Graduate and all of those, right. you can't help but, I mean, it, like I said, it came from all directions. There was so much great music back then, and it seems like the record labels really had the people, the right people in the right places to decide what it was we got to hear, you know? Um, more so than now, everybody can just throw out their stuff, and it's like you're just you're you're overwhelmed with all of this. Uh, you're just you're, the, the world is saturated with stuff that it, it is good and it isn't good, and and it's really. I I have two trains of thoughts, and you're you're absolutely right in everything you say. But here's here's also um, something to think about, which is. Um, the record companies back in the day, there was so much great music, but what if the record companies were like a governor on a truck that limited the amount of speed that, that a truck put out? So what what if back then we missed out on so many amazing bands that were stuck in their garage because they couldn't get a break from a record company? Right. Because the record company decided for you sure. what you were going to like and not like and deemed it no good you're not one of the cool kids and right. you can't be part of it i mean i wonder i'm not i'm not taking one side or the other i'm just posing that question right right well you, i i i i completely know exactly where you're going with that train of thought and i i agree that i think that our government and everything else does sort does they, they do definitely try to control what how we think i mean all of the commercials you see all of the news that you see something has been through a filter before it, it gets to us but rock and roll uh, itself um, is a power too big I think you know I mean John Lennon got to the point he did because of his music and nobody could control that and you know I think we did get the best of the best because if it is this a strong message if it's a strong enough message it will survive and and nothing can stop it I mean then you look at the Guns N' Roses record that came out you know that appetite for destruction record there's there was no stopping that it'll and, be heard yeah and and you can't help but wonder what influenced them all to make the decisions they made to, to make it slow down like it did because if it had kept going the world would have been led into I think you know some kind crazy, of beautiful right? chaos it's, um, it's crazy to think about things like that. You know, it's all life is all a series of, of decisions, and and you call it destiny, call it fate, whatever. What puts you in a room with Lemmy at the exact right time to further your career? What puts you in a room with this album to turn you on to music so that you go on to become a guitar player and a singer? You know, it's it's all a series of decisions, right? Um, and so it's just it's interesting to go down that rabbit hole and it is a rabbit hole and think about some of these things right yeah um, what was what was something so you talked about the records uh, that, that turned you on and why you ended up in, in rock and roll um, was there any uh, concerts that uh, that stuck out in your mind as, as like one of the best concerts or any of that kind of stuff uh, the first concert I ever went to uh, was a Steve Miller band um, and it was kind of, it was chill, but that music was just, especially for the year, I grew up near Santa Cruz, and that music was just, you know, everybody was kind of, it wasn't slight, it wasn't completely hippie or anything, but it was definitely stoner rock, you know, and I remember sitting on the lawn at Shoreline Amphitheater smoking a joint, the first joint I ever smoked at a concert, and just, you know, there was just no negativity, just such a peaceful, wonderful vibe. 
But I think soon after that, I was going. To, I went to a Metallica concert, and I was so blown away by that. I had to follow them for six shows. You know, it was just wow. like, I mean, wow. You know, yeah. wow. But um, yeah, so those, you know, yeah, Guns N' Roses too. I went to those when I was just a kid. Um, and then you end up playing with Steven Adler, right? I mean, just that's just crazy. That I mean, I, I think, like you said, it's a, everybody. You, you, you get fed a certain sort of passion in the beginning of your life and that fuels the direction of where you're gonna go and if nothing is restricting you hopefully you have some uh, some good people around you your family is you know supportive of you um, you can you can take advantage of that passion and if you let that grow you know it can it can lead you into places that you couldn't have ever dreamed of I mean I I honestly remember being a kid and, and when I was listening to the Guns N' Roses album just thinking these guys are gods, you know? And then you you want to do that yourself. You believe in yourself enough, and you follow that. And then before you know it, you're in a room with those guys. And then before you know it, you're on a tour with those guys. And before you know it, you're telling those guys, you know, right from wrong. And then before you know it, you're saying, fuck this, I'm doing my own thing. Right. And, then, and then boom, there you are. So right. it's passion, you know? Really, when that passion speaks to you, you gotta lock onto that and and just don't let it go because yeah. that's that's life that's that's the beauty of life you know yep no doubt about that so uh butterside just recently came off a tour with la guns how was that it was amazing what version of la guns was this was this the, it was the real deal the, uh this phil, is phil lewis phil and, uh, and tracy, tracy guns. yeah finally okay. finally decided to i think this is the year for it right yeah. i mean guns and roses kind of opened up the path for all of these groups, Poison's back together. All of these groups are doing these tours together, and it's great. I think it's just, it's great. I wish they'd never taken a break. I'd wish they'd never broken up. I think music would be in a much better place if they hadn't, but uh, egos get involved and whatever else. But the, the tour was so wonderful. Phil is such a sweetheart. Tracy is just the best, most, he's just such a great dude. And, you know, going into the tour, I didn't know the guys, and, and I, I was hoping and praying that they were the real deal and that they were going to help us because we need we need all the help that we can get, and we weren't getting any we weren't getting anywhere really. We're you know like our band is really hard to to pigeonhole, and people couldn't decide what tour we should be on. And Tracy and Phil took a chance on us, and then the guys at Artists Worldwide agreed to help us out. Uh, and Chips Enough, my old bass player from Adler's Appetite, and, and Enough's Enough is. Uh, was was the one who made the introduction and um he's an interesting character huh? oh he's the best he's <laughs> an interesting to say the least but the tour turned out to be so good for us because their audience wasn't expecting anything like us because we are different and uh tracy didn't mind that we were different he liked the band he's he's very versatile too he loves he loves all styles of music so um i don't think he's you know he's in a box like like a lot of people in the industry are so he was open-minded about the whole thing and he unleashed us on his crowd and they they just took to us like you know they loved us they uh they they really did and, and we've made a lot of friends and we can't wait to go back and see them all again we actually got invited back out to do another fall run with with la guns so we're doing that awesome. in the fall yeah yeah that's great man and and the fans you said the fans accepted you guys so you guys uh were able to play with the whole uh, I guess that would be called L.A. sleaze rock type rock and roll. Yeah, right? which is a huge. I mean, I, I mean, I still, uh, I still wear the eyeliner. I'm, I mean, I You're love a Metallica. Hollywood guy, right? Yeah, through and through. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, 
So yeah, I've always wanted, I mean, I love that part of it, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll thing. That's, that's what really attracted me to LA in the first place. I wanted to be a part of that scene. And that was the scene, Guns N' Roses, LA Guns. Right. So it's really, it's a coming of age for me. It's a, it's a dream come true to be accepted by this whole community. Right. Um, and, then, and then ultimately their, their fans, you know, you, you want them to like the music. And they, they were buying CDs like crazy. They were buying t-shirts like crazy. They were, you know, they were putting, they were putting gas in our gas tank so that we could make it to the next crowd so and do the same thing over the and over again. So the trailer to the next gig, right? Yeah, yeah. Been there, done that. Yeah. Uh, any crazy tour stories you want to share? Oh, gosh. You know, our good friend that I just met last night, Michael Wagner, said, you know what? The best stories are the ones that you can't tell anybody. <laughs> um, That's a wise man. Yeah, he is. A, he seems like a very wise guy. Um, wise guy. Um, we had, yeah, well, the, the final night, crazy, crazy. Uh, you know, we were all sad that we were going to part ways. Um, Scotty Ludwig, their manager, uh, we finally won over. He is... He's the kind of guy that you're like, gosh, I don't want to be on his bad side because you see him go off on a few people and, you know, I, don't, I think they're going to walk funny for the rest of their lives. Um, but, but a sweet, sweet, sweet man. And um, he gave us a chance just like the rest of the guys did. And at the end of the day, he really loved us. But the, the, the last song of our final show with them in, in what was it, South Dakota, um, the group got up on stage in the middle of our, la our final song and I'm playing, and I look down, and Scotty's got a set of pliers, and he's cutting my strings off my guitar while we're playing. And I look over at my bass player, and the roadie's doing the same thing to my bass player, and then our guitar player. So the whole thing just falls apart. All of the wheels fall off, and the whole crowd was just like, what the hell is going on? You, so. got, you guys got, e got off easy. So it's the end of tour pranks, right? So it's notorious that right. at the end of a tour, <laughs> The headlining band always likes to put it lightly fuck with the openers, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So I can tell you, I remember when uh, uh, I, were, uh, I was tour managing a band, we were out on the road with King's X. Nice. And uh, we had just finished the Dogman tour. Nice. And uh, their, their uh, gimmick of choice was to put um oil all over the uh drummer's <laughs> snare drum head oh, no. uh and then basically tar and feather our uh, bass player um, so that's extreme uh, it's always fun you know it wasn't tar and feather i, I kid but you know it was like a flower and uh, <laughs> uh i don't know water and flour or something like that that's you outrageous know, always crazy stuff going on so yeah if you're an opening act for any length of time on a tour with a headliner that seems to be the uh hazing uh, that yeah. goes on uh, so fun story fun story um, what's up next for Butterside oh man we've got so much stuff brewing it's it's amazing I'm so super excited uh, we're going into the studio in the next couple of weeks to start uh, recording I think like the first four or five songs uh, that we've basically we've basically got those songs ready for the next record so we'll, we'll record those roughly to turn into the label so we're excited to see um, they're going to be really excited about the direction we're going. We're really wanting to get heavier and faster um, just so that we have this onslaught of just pick you up off your feet kind of music, you know, getting out there and touring like we did. There's, there's really, we don't really feel, feel a big, a whole lot of room for ballads and you know we want to be like acdc on this next record you know nothing but just straightforward rock and roll you had me at no ballads yeah so you get it you get it so, so no we're really we're really uh we're really pushing for that so yeah we're, we have to go into the studio time we got we got studio time coming up um 
we don't want to let go of this record without releasing a couple more singles. So we're recording a video, two videos back to back in September for Scabra and can't let this one or uh, can't can't wrap my head around you. Um, it's going to be great again with our our cool director Eric Bishop's going to be in charge of uh, how that looks. Um, and then we've got the fall tour coming up with LA Guns, so uh, we've got a definitely a full plate in front of us. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming by and spending some time with us, Patrick. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, it's been awesome having you on. Thank you. Thanks for sharing your rock and roll story with us. Thank, thank you for being, thank you for being interested in new music and giving us a chance. Absolutely, Butterside coming at you. B u d d e r s i d e. Find us on Twitter. Find us on Instagram. The Facebook fan page. Patrick, again, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you.
was Butterside with Open Relationship, and that was the final of the three interviews we have completed with uh, Patrick Stone from Butterside. Um, it was a fantastic weekend at the Rock and Pod Expo. Uh, let me stop and give you a little information on the Grown Up Rock podcast. Samantha, take it away. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at grownuprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. Yep, we count on your reviews in iTunes and we count on you to like our Facebook page. And like we always say, let us know what you like, what you don't like. We're only trying to get better as we go through the weeks, months, and years here at Growing Up Rock. Anyway, that's pretty much it for this little special edition of Grown Up Rock. We hope you've enjoyed the three interviews that we've conducted. And hey, uh, until next week, that's it. Later.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.